but in the meantime, I am uh, going to carry on a bit with his series on Ruth. Uh, this is more of a kind of a topical address rather than specifically uh, expository, and so I'll be throughout the book, but mainly at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. Hear now the reading of the Word of God, beginning in verse 19 of Ruth chapter one. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. The women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the clan of Elimelech. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. It's interesting how people put labels on themselves. I was impressed a few years ago with two particular signs that I noticed. One was by a manhole where people were working. The only indication of their presence was a couple of orange cones and a sign by the hole which read, men working. Directly below this, someone had painted in large letters, hard. <laughs> One of the most startling examples of public honesty I once saw on a sign. At a major intersection, a man was sitting on the median holding a large sign which read, why lie, alcoholic, need whiskey. Perhaps in literature, the greatest example of labeling oneself or being labeled is that of Hester Prynne, the heroine in the classic novel, The Scarlet Letter. She was branded with a scarlet A because of an adulterous liaison. She wore that A in her clothing as a sign of shame, but gradually she became a compassionate helper highly respected in Puritan society, and eventually people thought the A stood for angel. Her one-time lover wore his scarlet A secretly in his heart and in his flesh, leading to his destruction. The book of Ruth is about two women who labeled themselves and were labeled by others. Naomi means pleasant, 
but she renamed herself Mara, bitter. Ruth labeled herself and was labeled by others a foreigner, which in Hebrew the word means one not recognized. She was a Moabite widow with no status at all in Israel. The book of Ruth is a story of how their self-designations get changed. It is a story about how God interrupts their disasters and our disasters to bring about redemption in his own way. The book of, of Ruth, the story of Ruth, begins with a difficult situation. There's a famine, so Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons move to Moab because they hear there is food there. They resided there about 10 years, and the sons took Moabite wives. We're told about the disaster that ensued. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and then the two sons die. The wives are left alone, childless, with no possibility of making a living or owning property. Naomi decided to return to her own town, Bethlehem in Judah, because the famine there had ended. At first, her two Moabite daughters-in-law insisted on returning with her, but Naomi persuaded Orpah to return. Ruth, however, prevailed upon Naomi to let her return with her, thereby accepting poverty and an uncertain future. And Naomi was bitter. Lest we judge her too harshly, consider what had happened. She was left without a husband or sons to give her social status. She had no way of making a living or owning property. She had a foreign widow attached to her. They had to depend on charity and what they could glean from what the harvesters left behind. Chapter 1, 19 through 21 underscores her bitterness and desperation, which she announces to the women of Bethlehem upon her return. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord brought me back empty. And so chapter 1 ends at a very low point. Things had gotten about as bad as they were going to get. There are two hints, though, that things will improve for Naomi. Chapter 1, verse 22 says they returned at the beginning of the harvest of barley. It's the barley harvest that leads to Naomi and Ruth's redemption. Also, the verse tells us Naomi accompanied, or Ruth rather, accompanied Naomi and shared her difficulties. Even in the middle of a disastrous situation, the people of God are people of the comedy, the ultimately happy ending, not the people of the tragedy. God does not permit disaster to define who we are. Even at the lowest point, 
God provides the beginning of redemption for the family of Elimelech, specifically Naomi and Ruth. Seldom, though, is the hand of God obvious to the characters in that story or in our stories. God's redemption is most often hidden in the actions of people and events that take place. Albert Einstein once said, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon with a quotation from Einstein, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. It is God's way of bringing about the redemption of Naomi's family called chance in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth goes to glean grain in a field after the reapers, and the text tells us, and this is a literal translation from the Hebrew, her chance chanced upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the family of Elimelech. Boaz, a wealthy kinsman, took notice of the young woman and cared for her, gave her extra food, warned the farmhands to leave her alone, gave instructions to the reapers to leave a lot for her, to give her among the shocks that had already been harvested. But what Ruth took as a chance meeting, Boaz understood as Ruth taking refuge with the God of Israel. And Naomi understood as the Lord not forsaking the living and the dead. And so the memory of the dead husbands and concern to carry on the name and posterity and property of the family is what sets up Boaz and Naomi's plan to redeem the family in the rest of the book. The problem of the loss of family property is dealt with by Boaz. He redeems it. The problem of the death of the family name because of childlessness of the widows is dealt with by the marriage of Ruth and Boaz in chapter 4. The book ends with the blessing on the child and the family of Boaz. Here, chapter 4, 14 through 17. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So at the end of the book, we see who's really redeemed and who the story has largely been about. The one who cried, call me bitter, at the beginning of the story now is restored and redeemed. The one who had lost a husband and two sons who was brought back empty to her home, now has a family and a child. 
the women of the neighborhood said, a son has been born to Naomi. The point is, the one who labeled herself bitter, who called herself empty, is the very one who gives rise to the family of David and eventually to Jesus the Christ. But sometimes we're like Naomi. We believe the judgments we pass on ourselves about our reversals to label ourselves bitter or depressed or sad or guilty, abandoned, or whatever the case may be. We also may feel that we've gone out full and sometimes have been brought back empty. And so we too may think the Lord allowed us to fail or become diseased or lose someone dear to us or some other disaster occurs to us. Sometimes our self-label may not be as much disastrous as dull. It may be that for us our famine in Moab is being stuck in an unrewarding job or other situation. And sometimes we're convinced that the reversals we experience are what define who we are. Naomi was bitter, and the Lord was implicated in her bitterness. Our temptation is to do what Naomi did. The Lord did this, or allowed it to happen. We as the people of God are finally not defined by our disasters, but by God's love and grace. For God has a way of redeeming disasters. As with Naomi, God's work is often usually not obvious. We may only be aware of our financial problems or insecurity or loneliness or lack of a future. But God most often works anonymously to bring about our redemption from whatever the situation may be. We do not see his hand moving, nor can we see exactly how he will bring about that redemption. I think it is enough for us to confess that God, as Naomi says, has remembered the living and the dead, and leave the details up to him, even though we do not see the end of the story. We lack perspective to see things as God does. It is often only due to our reversals that we grow or that God can use us. What we think is unredeemable may be God's way of working out his will in our lives. But how God works things out is usually through people, through you, through me. We are instruments of God's peace and grace for each other. We are traveling companions with other wounded and weary pilgrims and immigrants needing redemption. And sometimes 
the disaster label has to stick because the death or disease or failure or setback is permanent. Sometimes there's no way to undo what has occurred. There's a story in the New Testament about the ultimate disaster. Luke 24, 15 through 21, the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who are labeled by the text sad and perplexed because they had thought God would redeem Israel through the prophet Jesus. And instead, he had died and it had been three days since that death. But God took even the worst disaster and redeemed it For he delights in bringing life out of death and hope where there is no hope. I began talking about signs and labels. One of the most famous signs of all time is the one fixed to the cross of Jesus. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This sign attests that even death does not and cannot keep God from redeeming his people and creating blessing out of disaster. God is finally the God who has ordained blessing for us and for his creation. Because he is sovereign even over death, the crosses in our own life and he creates blessing even out of disaster. God himself came down, took upon himself our reversals, our sins, our failings, our disasters, and died so that he might redeem us even from the grip of death. If you're here today as one who has defined yourself as one experiencing reversals, one who's experienced great loss or disease or any other calamity that you've experienced, God is knocking on the door of your life to come and inhabit that situation with you and even the deepest disaster even the deepest pit becomes the pit where God is now with you and it's consecrated because the one who called light out of darkness and who brought the dead to life is now inhabiting that situation even now with you. He invites you to come as we sing.